Chapter Eleven of Red Gauntlet by Sir Walter Scott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Chapter Eleven. Narrative of Alan Fairford continued. Five minutes had elapsed after the town clock struck two, before Alan Fairford, who had made a small detour to put his letter into the post-house reached the mansion of mr provost crosby and was at once greeted by the voice of that civic dignitary and the rural dignitary his visitor as by the voices of men impatient for their dinner come away mr fairford the edinburgh time is later than ours said the provost and come away young gentleman said the laird i remember your father well at the cross thirty years ago i reckon you are as late in edinburgh as at london four o'clock hours eh not quite so degenerate replied fairford but certainly many edinburgh people are so ill-advised as to postpone their dinner till three that they may have full time to answer their london correspondence london correspondence said mr maxwell and pray what the devil have the people of old reeky to do with london correspondence not much in those days for within my recollection the london post was brought north in a small mail-cart and men are yet as live who recollect when it came down with only one single letter for edinburgh addressed to the manager of the british linen company the tradesmen must have their goods said fairford can they not buy our own scottish manufactures and pick their customers pockets in a more patriotic manner then the ladies must have fashions said fairford can they not busk the plaid over their heads as their mothers did a tartan screen and once a year a new cockernoyny from paris should serve a countess but ye have not many of them left i think marshall early winton vemis balmerino all past and gone ay ay the countesses and ladies of quality will scarce take up too much of your ballroom floor with their quality hoops nowadays there is no want of crowding however sir said fairford they begin to talk of a new assembly room a new assembly room said the old jacobite laird humph i mind quartering three hundred men in the old assembly room i remember hearing this identical answer given by an old highland gentleman of the forty-five when he heard of the opening of the new assembly rooms in george street but come come i'll ask no more questions the answers all smell of new lords new lands and do but spoil my appetite which were a pity since here comes mrs crosby to say our mutton's ready 
it was even so mrs crosby had been absent like eve on hospitable cares intent a duty which she did not conceive herself exempted from either by the dignity of her husband's rank in the municipality or the splendour of her brussels silk gown or even by the more highly prized lustre of her birth for she was born a maxwell and allied as her husband often informed his friends to several of the first families in the county she had been handsome and was still a portly good-looking woman of her years and though her peep into the kitchen had somewhat heightened her complexion it was no more than a modest touch of rouge might have done the provost was certainly proud of his lady nay some said he was afraid of her for of the females of the red gauntlet family there went a rumour that ally where they would there was a grey mare as surely in the stables of their husbands as there is a white horse in wouverman's pictures the good dame too was supposed to have brought a spice of politics into mr crosby's household along with her and the provost's enemies at the council table of the burg used to observe that he uttered there many a bold harangue against the pretender and in favour of king george and government of which he dared not have pronounced a syllable in his own bedchamber and that in fact his wife's predominating influence had now and then occasioned his acting or forbearing to act in a manner very different from his general professions of zeal for revolution principles if this was in any respect true it was certain on the other hand that mrs crosby in all external points seemed to acknowledge the lawful sway and right supremacy of the head of the house and if she did not in truth reverence her husband she at least seemed to do so this stately dame received mr maxwell a cousin of course with cordiality and fairford with civility answering at the same time with respect to the magisterial complaints of the provost that dinner was just coming up but since you changed poor peter mcalpin that used to take care of the town clock my dear it has never gone well a single day peter mcalpin my dear said the provost made himself too busy for a person in office and drunk healths and so forth which it became no man to drink or to pledge far less one that is in point of office a servant of the public i understand that he lost the music bells in edinburgh for playing over the water to charlie upon the tenth of june he is a black sheep and deserves no encouragement not a bad tune though after all said summertrees and turning to the window he half hummed half whistled the air in question then sang the last verse aloud oh i love well my charlie's name though some there be that abhor him but oh to see the devil gang home with all the wigs before him over the water 
and over the sea and over the water to charlie come well come woe will gather and go and live or die with charlie mrs crosby smiled furtively on the laird wearing an aspect at the same time of deep submission while the provost not choosing to hear his visitor's ditty took a turn through the room in unquestioned dignity and independence of authority a well a well my dear said the lady with a quiet smile of submission ye ken these matters best and you will do your pleasure they are far above my hand only i doubt if ever the town clock will go right or your meals be got up so regular as i should wish till peter mcalpin gets his office back again the body's old and can neither work nor want but he is the only hand to set a clock it may be noticed in passing that notwithstanding this prediction which probably the fair cassandra had the full means of accomplishing it was not till the second council day thereafter that the misdemeanors of the jacobite clock-keeper were passed over and he was once more restored to his occupation of fixing the town's time and the provost's dinner hour upon the present occasion the dinner passed pleasantly away summer trees talked and jested with the easy indifference of a man who holds himself superior to his company he was indeed an important person as was testified by his portly appearance his hat laced with point de spain his coat and waistcoat once richly embroidered though now almost threadbare the splendour of his solitaire and laced ruffles though the first was sorely creased and the other sullied not to forget the length of his silver-hilted rapier his wit or rather humour bordered on the sarcastic and intimated a discontented man and although he showed no displeasure when the provost attempted a repartee yet it seemed that he permitted it upon mere sufferance as a fencing-master engaged with a pupil will sometimes permit the tyro to hit him solely by way of encouragement the laird's own jests in the meanwhile were eminently successful not only with the provost and his lady but with the red-cheeked and red-ribboned servant-maid who waited at table and who could scarce perform her duty with propriety so effectual were the explosions of summer trees allan fairford alone was unmoved among all this mirth which was the less wonderful that besides the important subject which occupied his thoughts most of the laird's good things consisted in sly allusions to little parochial or family incidents with which the edinburgh visitor was totally unacquainted so that the laughter of the party sounded in his ear like the idle crackling of thorns under the pot with this difference that they did not accompany or second any such useful operation as the boiling thereof fairford was glad when the cloth was withdrawn and when provost crosby not without some points of advice from his lady touching the precise mixture of the ingredients 
had accomplished the compounding of a noble bowl of punch at which the old jacobite's eyes seemed to glisten the glasses were pushed round it filled and withdrawn each by its owner when the provost emphatically named the toast the king with an important look to fairford which seemed to say you can have no doubt whom i mean and therefore there is no occasion to particularize the individual summer trees repeated the toast with a sly wink to the lady while fairford drank his glass in silence well young advocate said the landed proprietor i am glad to see there is some shame if there is little honesty left in the faculty some of your black gowns nowadays have as little of the one as of the other at least sir replied mr fairford i am so much of a lawyer as not willingly to enter into disputes which i am not retained to support it would be but throwing away both time and argument come come said the lady we will have no argument in this house about whig or tory the provost kens what he maun say and i ken what he should think and for all that has come and gone yet there may be a time coming when honest men may say what they think whether they be provosts or not do you hear that provost said summertrees your wife's a witch man you should nail a horseshoe on your chamber door ha 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 this sally did not take quite so well as former efforts of the laird's wit the lady drew up and the provost said half aside the sooth board is no board the true joke is no joke you will find the horseshoe hissing hot summer trees you can speak from experience doubtless provost answered the laird but i crave pardon i need not tell mrs crosby that i have all respect for the old and honourable house of red gauntlet and good reason ye have that are so sipped to them quoth the lady and kenned well both them that are here and them that are gone in troth and ye may say so madam answered the laird for poor harry redgauntlet that suffered at carlisle was hand and glove with me and yet we parted on short leave-taking ay summer trees said the provost that was when you played cheat the woody and got the by-name of pate in peril i wish you would tell the story to my young friend here he likes well to hear of a sharp trick as most lawyers do i wonder at your want of circumspection provost said the laird much after the manner of a singer when declining to sing the song that is quivering upon his tongue's very end ye should mind there are some old stories that cannot be ripped up again with entire safety to all concerned tace is latin for a candle i hope said the lady you are not afraid of anything being said out of this house to your prejudice summer trees i have heard the story before but the oftener i hear it the more wonderful i think it yes madam but it has been now a wonder of more than nine days and it is time it should be ended answered maxwell 
fairford now thought it civil to say that he had often heard of mr maxwell's wonderful escape and that nothing could be more agreeable to him than to hear the right version of it but summertrees was obdurate and refused to take up the time of the company with such old-world nonsense well well said the provost a wilful man mun have his way what do your folk in the country think about the disturbances that are beginning to spunk out in the colonies excellent sir excellent when things come to the worst they will mend and to the worst they are coming but as to that nonsense ploy of mine if ye insist on hearing the particulars said the laird who began to be sensible that the period of telling his story gracefully was gliding fast away nay said the provost it was not for myself but this young gentleman a oh, well what for should i not pleasure the young gentleman i'll just drink to honest folk at home and abroad and devil one else and then but you have heard it before mrs crosby not so often as to think it tiresome i assure ye said the lady and without further preliminaries the laird addressed allan fairford ye have heard of a year they call the forty-five young gentlemen when the southron's heads made their last acquaintance with scottish claymores there was a set of rampaging shields in the country then that they called rebels i never could find out what for some men should have been with them that never came provost sky and the bush aboon traycare for that ye can well the job was settled at last clored crowns were plenty and raxed necks came into fashion i dinna mind very well what i was doing swaggering about the country with dirk and pistol at my belt for five or six months or thereaway but i had a weary waking out of a wild dream when did i find myself on foot in a misty morning with my hand just for fear of going astray linked into a handcuff as they call it with poor hairy red gauntlets fastened into the other and there we were trudging along with about a score more that had thrust their horns over deep in the bog just like ourselves and a sergeant's guard of redcoats with twa file of dragoons to keep all quiet and give us heart to the road now if this mode of travelling was not very pleasant the object did not particularly recommend it for you understand young man that they did not trust these poor rebel bodies to be tried by juries of their own kindly countrymen though one would have thought they would have found wigs enough in scotland to hang us all but they behooved to trounce us away to be tried at carlisle where the folk had been so frightened that you had brought a whole highland clan at once into the court they would have put their hands upon their eyne and cried hang them all just to be quit of them ay ay said the provost that was a snell law i grant ye snell said the wife snell i wish they that passed it 
had the jury i would recommend them to i suppose the young lawyer thinks it all very right said summertrees looking at fairford an old lawyer might have thought otherwise however the cudgel was to be found to beat the dog and they chose a heavy one well i kept my spirits better than my companion poor fellow for i had the luck to have neither wife nor child to think about and harry redgauntlet had both one and the other you have seen harry mrs crosby in troth have i said she with the sigh which we give to early recollections of which the object is no more he was not so tall as his brother and a gentler lad every way after he married the great english fortune folk called him less of a scottish man than edward folk lead then said summertrees poor harry was none of your bold speaking ranting reavers that talk about what they did yesterday or what they will do to-morrow it was when something was to do at the moment that you should have looked at harry redgauntlet i saw him at culloden when all was lost doing more than twenty of these bleezing braggarts till the very soldiers that took him cried not to hurt him for all somebody's orders provost for he was the bravest fellow of them all well as i went by the side of harry and felt him raise my hand up in the mist of the morning as if he wished to wipe his eye for he had not that freedom without my leave my very heart was like to break for him poor fellow in the meanwhile i had been trying and trying to make my hand as fine as a lady's to see if i could slip it out of my iron wristband you may think he said laying his broad bony hand on the table i had work enough with such a shoulder of mutton fist but if you observe the shackle bones are of the largest and so they were obliged to keep the handcuff wide at length i got my hand slipped out and slipped in again and poor harry was so deep in his own thoughts i could not make him sensible what i was doing why not said alan fairford for whom the tale began to have some interest because there was an unchancy beast of a dragoon riding close beside us on the other side and if i had let him into my confidence as well as harry it would not have been long before a pistol-ball slapped through my bonnet well i had little for it but to do the best i could for myself and by my conscience it was time when the gallows was staring me in the face we were to halt for breakfast at moffat well did i know the moors we were marching over having hunted and hawked on every acre of ground in very different times so i waited you see till i was on the edge of Eriksdane bray ye ken the place they call the marquis's beef-stand because the annandale loons used to put their stolen cattle in there 
fairford intimated his ignorance ye must have seen it as ye came this way it looks as if four hills were laying their heads together to shut out daylight from the dark hollow space between them a damned deep black blackguard-looking abyss of a hole it is and goes straight down from the roadside as perpendicular as it can do to be a heathery bray at the bottom there is a small bit of a brook that you would think could hardly find its way out from the hills that are so closely jammed round it a bad pass indeed said Allan. you may say that continued the laird bad as it was sir it was my only chance and though my very flesh creeped when i thought what a rumble i was going to get yet i kept my heart up all the same and so just when we came on the edge of this beef-stand of the johnstones i slipped out my hand from the handcuff cried to harry gauntlet follow me whisked under the belly of the dragoon horse flung my plaid round me with the speed of lightning threw myself on my side for there was no keeping my feet and down the bray hurled i over heather and fern and blackberries like a barrel down chalmers close in old reeky god sir i never could help laughing when i think how the scoundrel redcoats must have been bumbased for the mist being as i said thick they had little notion i take it that they were on the verge of such a dilemma i was halfway down for rowing is faster work than running ere they could get at their arms and then it was flash 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 rap 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 from the edge of the road but my head was too jumbled to think anything either of that or the hard knocks i got among the stones i kept my senses together whilk has been thought wonderful by all that ever saw the place and i helped myself with my hands as gallantly as i could and to the bottom i came there i lay for half a moment but the thoughts of a gallows is worth all the salts and scent-bottles in the world for bringing a man to himself up i sprang like a four-year-old colt all the hills were spinning round with me like so many great big humming tops but there was no time to think of that neither more especially as the mist had risen a little with the firing i could see the villains like so many craws on the edge of the bray and i reckon that they saw me for some of the loons were beginning to crawl down the hill but liker old wives in their red coats coming from a field preaching than such a sople lad as i was accordingly they soon began to stop and load their pieces good even to you gentlemen thought i if that is to be the gate of it if you have any further word with me you mon come as far as carry fra gons and so off i set and never buck went faster over the braes than i did and i never stopped till i had put three waters reasonably deep as the season was rainy half a dozen mountains and a few thousand acres of the worst moss and ling in scotland betwixt me and my friends the redcoats 
it was that job which got you the name of pate in peril said the provost filling the glasses and exclaiming with great emphasis while his guest much animated with the recollections which the exploit excited looked round with an air of triumph for sympathy and applause here is to your good health and may you never put your neck in such a venture again the escape of a jacobite gentleman while on the road to carlisle to take his trial for his share in the affair of seventeen forty five took place at Ericstane bray in the singular manner ascribed to the laird of summertrees in the text the author has seen in his youth the gentleman to whom the adventure actually happened the distance of time makes some indistinctness of recollection but it is believed the real name was mcewen or macmillan humph i do not know answered summertrees i am not like to be tempted with another opportunity an old gentleman of the author's name was engaged in the affair of seventeen fifteen and with some difficulty was saved from the gallows by the intercession of the duchess of bucklow and monmouth her grace who maintained a good deal of authority over her clan sent for the object of her intercession and warning him of the risk which he had run and the trouble she had taken on his account wound up her lecture by intimating that in the case of such disloyalty again he was not to expect her interest in his favour an it please your grace said the stout old tory i fear i am too old to see another opportunity yet who knows and then he made a deep pause may i ask what became of your friend sir said alan fairford ah poor harry said summertrees i'll tell you what sir it takes time to make up one's mind to such a venture as my friend the provost calls it and i was told by neil maclean who was next file to us but had the luck to escape the gallows by some sleight-of-hand trick or other that upon my breaking off poor harry stood like one motionless although all our brethren in captivity made as much tumult as they could to distract the attention of the soldiers and run he did at last but he did not know the ground and either from confusion or because he judged the descent altogether perpendicular he fled up the hill to the left instead of going down at once and so was easily pursued and taken if he had followed my example he would have found enough among the shepherds to hide him and feed him as they did me on bear-mill scenes and braxy mutton till better days came round again braxy mutton the flesh of sheep that has died of disease not by the hand of the butcher in pastoral countries it is used as food with little scruple he suffered then for his share in the insurrection said alan you may swear that said summertrees his blood was too red to be spared when that sort of paint was in request he suffered sir as you call it that is he was murdered in cold blood with many a pretty fellow besides well we may have our day next what is firsted is not forgiven 
they think us all dead and buried but here he filled his glass and muttering some indistinct denunciations drank it off and assumed his usual manner which had been a little disturbed towards the end of the narrative what became of mr red gauntlet's child said fairford mr red gauntlet he was sir henry red gauntlet as his son if the child now lives will be sir arthur i called him harry from intimacy and red gauntlet as the chief of his name his proper style was sir henry red gauntlet his son therefore is dead said allan fairford it is a pity so brave a line should draw to a close he has left a brother said summertrees edward hugh redgauntlet who has now the representation of the family and well it is for though he be unfortunate in many respects he will keep up the honour of the house better than a boy bred up amongst these bitter wigs the relations of his elder brother sir henry's lady then they are on no good terms with the redgauntlet line bitter wigs they are in every sense it was a runaway match betwixt sir henry and his lady poor thing they would not allow her to see him when in confinement they had even the meanness to leave him without pecuniary assistance and as all his own property was seized upon and plundered he would have wanted common necessaries but for the attachment of a fellow who was a famous fiddler a blind man i have seen him with sir henry myself both before the affair broke out and while it was going on i have heard that he fiddled in the streets of carlisle and carried what money he got to his master while he was confined in the castle i do not believe a word of it said mrs crosby kindling with indignation a red gauntlet would have died twenty times before he had touched a fiddler's wages hout fie hout fie all nonsense and pride said the laird of summertrees scornful dogs will eat dirty puddings cousin crosby ye little ken what some of your friends were obliged to do yon time for a soup of brose or a bit of bannock god i carried a cutler's wheel for several weeks partly for need and partly for disguise there i went biz biz whiz ziz at every old wife's door and if ever you want your shears sharpened mrs crosby i am the lad to do it for you if my wheel was but in order you must ask my leave first said the provost for i have been told you had some queer fashions of taking a kiss instead of a penny if you liked your customer come come provost said the lady rising if the mot gets abound the meal with you it is time for me to take myself away and you will come to my room gentlemen when you want a cup of tea allan fairford was not sorry for the lady's departure she seemed too much alive to the honour of the house of redgauntlet though only a fourth cousin not to be alarmed by the inquiries which he proposed to make after the whereabout 
of its present head strange confused suspicions arose in his mind from his imperfect recollection of the tale of wandering willie and the idea forced itself upon him that his friend darcy latimer might be the son of the unfortunate sir henry but before indulging in such speculations the point was to discover what had actually become of him if he were in the hands of his uncle might there not exist some rivalry in fortune or rank which might induce so stern a man as redgauntlet to use unfair measures towards a youth whom he would find himself unable to mould to his purpose he considered these points in silence during several revolutions of the glasses as they wheeled in galaxy round the bowl waiting until the provost agreeably to his own proposal should mention the subject for which he had expressly introduced him to mr maxwell of summertrees apparently the provost had forgot his promise or at least was in no great haste to fulfil it he debated with great earnestness upon the stamp act which was then impending over the american colonies and upon other political subjects of the day but said not a word of redgauntlet allan soon saw that the investigation he meditated must advance if at all on his own special motion and determined to proceed accordingly acting upon this resolution he took the first opportunity afforded by a pause in the discussion of colonial politics to say i must remind you provost crosby of your kind promise to procure some intelligence upon the subject i am so anxious about gadzo said the provost after a moment's hesitation it is very true mr maxwell we wish to consult you on a piece of important business you must know indeed i think you must have heard that the fishermen at brokenburn and higher up the solway have made a raid upon quaker gettys's stake-nets and levelled all with the sands in troth i heard it provost and i was glad to hear the scoundrels had so much pluck left as to right themselves against a fashion which would make the upper heritors a sort of clocking-hands to hatch the fish that folk below them were to catch and eat well sir said allan that is not the present point but a young friend of mine was with mr geddes at the time this violent procedure took place and he has not since been heard of now our friend the provost thinks that you may be able to advise here he was interrupted by the provost and summertrees speaking out both at once the first endeavouring to disclaim all interest in the question and the last to evade giving an answer Methink, said the provost i never thought twice about it mr fairford it was neither fish nor flesh nor salt herring of mine and i able to advise said mr maxwell of summertrees what the devil can i advise you to do excepting to send the bellman through the town to cry your lost sheep as they do spaniel dogs or stray ponies with your pardon said allan calmly but resolutely i must ask a more serious answer 
why mr advocate answered summertrees i thought it was your business to give advice to the lieges and not to take it from poor stupid country gentlemen if not exactly advice it is sometimes our duty to ask questions mr maxwell ay sir when you have your bag wig and your gown on we must allow you the usual privilege of both gown and petticoat to ask what questions you please but when you are out of your canonicals the case is altered how come you sir to suppose that i have any business with this riotous proceeding or should know more than you do what happened there the question proceeds on an uncivil supposition i will explain said allan determined to give mr maxwell no opportunity of breaking off the conversation you are an intimate of mr redgauntlet he is accused of having been engaged in this affray and of having placed under forcible restraint the person of my friend darcy latimer a young man of property and consequence whose fate i am here for the express purpose of investigating this is the plain state of the case and all parties concerned your friend in particular will have reason to be thankful for the temperate manner in which it is my purpose to conduct the matter if i am treated with proportionate frankness you have misunderstood me said maxwell with a tone changed to more composure i told you i was the friend of the late sir henry redgauntlet who was executed in seventeen forty five at harraby near carlisle but i know no one who at present bears the name of redgauntlet you know mr harry's of burnswork said allan smiling to whom the name of redgauntlet belongs maxwell darted a keen reproachful look towards the provost but instantly smoothed his brow and changed his tone to that of confidence and candour you must not be angry mr fairford that the poor persecuted non-jurors are a little upon the qui viva when such clever young men as you are making inquiries after us i myself now though i am quite out of the scrape and may cock my hat at the cross as i best like sunshine or moonshine have been yet so much accustomed to walk with the lap of my cloak cast over my face that faith if a red coat walks suddenly up to me i wish for my wheel and whetstone again for a moment now red gauntlet poor fellow is far worse off he is you may have heard still under the lash of the law the mark of the beast is still on his forehead poor gentleman and that makes us cautious very cautious which i am sure there is no occasion to be towards you as no one of your appearance and manners would wish to trepan a gentleman under misfortune on the contrary sir said fairford i wish to afford mr redgauntlet's friends an opportunity to get him out of the scrape by procuring the instant liberation of my friend darcy latimer i will engage that if he has sustained no greater bodily harm than a short confinement the matter may be passed over quietly 
without inquiry but to attain this end so desirable for the man who has committed a great and recent infraction of the laws which he had before grievously offended very speedy reparation of the wrong must be rendered maxwell seemed lost in reflection and engaged a glance or two not of the most comfortable or congratulatory kind with his host the provost fairford rose and walked about the room to allow them an opportunity of conversing together for he was in hopes that the impression he had visibly made upon summertrees was likely to ripen into something favourable to his purpose they took the opportunity and engaged in whispers to each other eagerly and reproachfully on the part of the laird while the provost answered in an embarrassed and apologetical tone some broken words of the conversation reached fairford whose presence they seemed to forget as he stood at the bottom of the room apparently intent upon examining the figures upon a fine indian screen a present to the provost from his brother captain of a vessel in the company's service what he overheard made it evident that his errand and the obstinacy with which he pursued it occasioned altercation between the whisperers maxwell at length let out the words a good fright and so sent him home with his tail scalded like a dog that has come a privateering on strange premises the provost's negative was strongly interposed not to be thought of making bad worse my situation my utility you cannot conceive how obstinate just like his father then they whispered more closely and at length the provost raised his drooping crest and spoke in a cheerful tone come sit down to your glass mr fairford we have laid our heads together and you shall see it will not be our fault if you are not quite pleased and mr darcy latimer let loose to take his fiddle under his neck again but summertrees thinks it will require you to put yourself into some bodily risk which maybe you may not be so keen of gentlemen said fairford i will not certainly shun any risk by which my object may be accomplished but i bind it on your consciences on yours mr maxwell as a man of honour and a gentleman and on yours provost as a magistrate and a loyal subject that you will not mislead me in this matter nay as for me said summertrees i will tell you the truth at once and fairly own that i can certainly find you the means of seeing red gauntlet poor man and that i will do if you require it and conjure him also to treat you as your errand requires but poor red gauntlet is much changed indeed to say truth his temper never was the best in the world however i will warrant you from any very great danger i will warrant myself from such said fairford by carrying a proper force with me indeed said summertrees you will do no such thing for in the first place do you think that we will deliver up the poor fellow into the hands of the philistines when on the contrary my only reason for furnishing you 
with the clue i am to put into your hands is to settle the matter amicably on all sides and secondly his intelligence is so good that were you coming near him with soldiers or constables or the like i shall answer for it you will never lay salt on his tail fairford mused for a moment he considered that to gain sight of this man and knowledge of his friend's condition were advantages to be purchased at every personal risk and he saw plainly that were he to take the course most safe for himself and call in the assistance of the law it was clear he would either be deprived of the intelligence necessary to guide him or that red gauntlet would be apprised of his danger and might probably leave the country carrying his captive along with him he therefore repeated i put myself on your honour mr maxwell and i will go alone to visit your friend i have little doubt i shall find him amenable to reason and that i shall receive from him a satisfactory account of mr latimer i have little doubt that you will said mr maxwell of summer trees but still i think it will be only in the long run and after having sustained some delay and inconvenience my warrandus goes no further i will take it as it is given said allan fairford but let me ask would it not be better since you value your friend's safety so highly and surely would not willingly compromise mine that the provost or you should go with me to this man if he is within any reasonable distance and try to make him hear reason me i will not go my foot's length said the provost and that mr allan you may be well assured of mr redgauntlet is my wife's fourth cousin that is undeniable but were he the last of her kin and mine both it would ill befit my office to be communing with rebels ay or drinking with non-jurors said maxwell filling his glass i would as soon expect to have met claverhouse at a field preaching as for myself mr fairford i cannot go for just the opposite reason it would be infra dig in the provost of this most flourishing and loyal town to associate with redgauntlet and for me it would be nascitur a socio there would be post to london with the tidings that two such jacobites as redgauntlet and i had met on a brayside the habeas corpus would be suspended fame would sound a charge from carlisle to the land's end and who knows but the very wind of the rumour might blow my estate from between my fingers and my body over Ericstane bray again no no bide a glyph i will go into the provost's closet and write a letter to red gauntlet and direct you how to deliver it there is pen and ink in the office said the provost pointing to the door of an inner apartment in which he had his walnut-tree desk and east-country cabinet a pen that can write i hope said the old laird it can write and spell both in right hands answered the provost as the laird retired and shut the door behind him
End of chapter 11